Evening, everyone. Thank you, Caitlin on vocals and uh, band and everyone. It's good to see you here on a, on a Mother's Day. Mother's Day is always a little bit uh, low, but there's a, a good number of you here. It's cool. And um, uh, happy Mother's Day to our mothers. Hands up if you are a mum in the house tonight. One, two, three, four. Charlie, you're not. And <laughs> Jenny, five. Happy Mother's Day to our mums. I think um, our mums are amazing. And they do such an incredible role in our world and in our lives. And we could be so thankful for them. And um, uh, well done for those of you who uh, are here. Normally on Mother's Day, we have some who are not here, of course, because they're with mums. And that's, that's totally understandable. But a special well done to those of you who are here and you've brought your mums with you. Well done. Or mums who have brought their children with them. So that's like extra supper for you guys, something like that. Um, we are uh, doing a series on two uh, on Samuel. The no, yes, Samuel one and two Samuel, and uh, we are up to chapter seven of two Samuel. Um, let me do a little story to frame this um, before um, before we get into reading the passage. Um, one of my kind of movies of my childhood, and, and like I'm a lot older than a lot of you, so you may not have seen this movie. Actually, there's a series out at the moment called on Netflix called. Uh, is it Cobra Kai? I don't know if anyone's come across that. Um, but that's based on, a, on an old movie called Karate Kid. And uh, who has actually seen the movie Karate Kid? Okay. Well, it's like universal influence here. That's great. Um, <clears throat> and Karate Kid, of course, is this story about this, uh, this boy, a uh, teenage lad, and he moves town, he's getting bullied, and he gets to know this uh, Japanese guy who, who works in um, the apartment block that he's living in. And the guy starts to, t- says, I'll train you, you know, I'll, I'll help you and train you to, to be, the, you know, learn karate. But actually what, the, what the, the guy does is he starts getting him to do all these chores, right? He's got to like wash the car and it's like wax on, wax off. And then he's got to paint the fence and, uh, and then he's got to scrub the decks. And like after a while, he just goes, oh, this is ridiculous. All I'm doing is just doing all these jobs for you. But actually, and then the guy says, you know, scrub the decks again. And, and, and the guy, he's like, oh, I've been doing that. No, he's starting, and he starts doing it. And then he's worked out. Suddenly he knows karate, which is actually ridiculous, I think. But anyway, <laughs> when you really think about it. But anyway, um, what he'd been doing is, is piece by piece training him. He'd been building the muscles that he needed. He'd been strengthening him in each area that he needed. And I feel like this series on the life of David, as we start, study uh, the life of a man who God later on describes as a man after my own heart, is we're kind of like doing a Karate Kid type situation where each week we're adding a different element of what it is to be a passionate follower of God. And so we started with, um, we started with calling and uh, explore what it is to be called and hear God's voice and follow God's voice. And then we uh, looked at the topic of courage around David and Goliath. And we studied uh, that, that whole idea about where courage comes from and the basis of boldness and courage. Then Nick shared around integrity uh, with, with David and, uh, and Saul and his relationship and how he show, so showed obedience to God and integrity uh, in the way that he dealt with the various challenges of his relationship with Saul. And then uh, last Sunday... Uh, I spoke about the topic of worship. And so I feel like every week we're adding a different little component of, of the fullness of what it is to be a follower of God. And um, uh, tonight I get to talk about the topic of prayer. And so uh, Billy Graham once said, <clears throat> we are to pray in times of adversity, 
lest we become faithless and unbelieving. We are to pray in times of prosperity, lest we become boastful and proud. We are to pray in times of danger, lest we become fearful and doubting. And we are to pray in times of security, lest we become self-sufficient. And 1 Thessalonians 5.17, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, summarized this in a much more succinct way. It said, pray continually. Pray continually. Well, pray at all times. Pray at all circumstances. Pray in all situations. And um, so tonight I'm going to talk about prayer, but I'm not really going to talk about the techniques of prayer or the content of prayer. Maybe I'll touch on that. But it's also it's more about where the heart to pray comes from. Where, where, where prayer actually finds its genesis and kind of if you imagine like a spring that wells up and brings out the kind of like a beautiful pure water where, where's that spring that it leads us to have a heart and desire to, to be prayerful people and so uh, we're going to read 2 Samuel chapter 7 um, now I'm actually wondering we've got a few mics here um, I wonder if I can get some help who's got a bible here tonight all right, some people got a Bible. And who likes reading out loud in front of lots of people? Uh, yeah, okay. So I need three readers here. And um, so I need someone who, to be David. I need someone to be God. I need someone to be um, Nathan. Nathan's got a really short part. Who'd like to be Nathan? Okay. Nathan, come and be Nathan. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, who would like to be um, uh, David? Sarah would like to be David. Okay, Sarah, come and be David. And the next one is, um, uh, oh, God. <laughs> who would like to be God? Um, who would like to read the part of God? Okay, excellent. Right, excellent. Okay, so um, I'm going to grab some mics and we'll do this. So open up to 2 Samuel chapter 7, guys. And this hopefully will, will work. And uh, there you go, Nathan. And we just need to just be careful of the length of that. Um, and this hopefully, oh, yes, that's right. I was going to ask for the lights to be put on. Brilliant. Um, I'm going to be the narrator or the, the author. Okay. So um, I'll just nudge you if, if it's your bit. And, you, and you're, right, you're right to go there, Nathan? Yeah. Okay, beautiful. <laughs> All right, you guys right? Excellent. Okay. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, no, no, this is, this is God. No, he said to Nathan the prophet. Oh, no, hold on. It's David. It's David. Sorry. Okay. All right, here we go. Just wait. 2 Samuel chapter 7. <laughs> After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Look, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Awesome. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their 
rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel? Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the name of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. And it keeps going. <laughs> God, you've got more to say. <laughs> Sorry, it's actually quite a lot. God's got a big part the to play in this. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and, your rest, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, when flogging inflicted by men. With flogging inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Awesome, thank you. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, <laughs> Who am I, O Sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And now, Sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way, O Sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, Sovereign Lord. Because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. How great are you, O Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people, Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in your way. You made Israel your very own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. And may your name be honoured forever, so that everyone will say, The Lord of heaven's army is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Your words are truth, and you have promised these good things to your servant. And now may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, O sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. Awesome. Thank you very much. Can we thank these guys? All right. So sometimes you hear a big, big, long Bible reading like that. And if I was to ask you right now, what's this passage about? Some of you would be like, I'm not exactly sure. And so let me break this passage down into four parts. Firstly, the very first part is verse 1 and 2. 
And this is, David comes up with a plan. David says, basically, you know, if you were here last week, um, last week was all about how the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem. Remember that, those that were here? And so the Ark of the Covenant's been brought in. Uh, for While they've been traveling, it's been, they've built this structure around it called the tabernacle, which is a tent. And so the start of verse 7, the first two verses, uh, David says, um, you know, here I am, I'm living in, in, a, in a house and, uh, and God's living in uh, a tent. And so David's plan is, you know, time to build a permanent home for the, for the ark, for God's presence, so that God can dwell in Jerusalem and be permanently based there. It's a pretty good plan, right? That's a pretty, it's kind of a, it makes sense for him to do that. And then, so that's the first bit, David's plan. The next is Nathan's response, which is verse 3. Nathan's response in verse 3 is basically, go and do it. Uh, so Nathan is, is a prophet, and he's a guy who, who um, speak, you know, hears from God and then, and then speaks it. And so when he hears this plan from David, he says, go for it. Great. Awesome. God's with you. Um, God will bless it. Go and do uh, as you have spoken. And go and do whatever you have in mind. And, um, but then, that night, Nathan hears from the Lord. And basically, in, in the, in to summarise that whole speech that, that Martin did down uh, into a couple of things, is what God says is, David, um, you're not going to be the guy that builds this building. But actually, uh, your son, the one who comes after you, he is going to be the one who's going to build it. Okay? You had the plan. You think, right, you've got a good plan. Let's build this temple. Let's build it. Makes sense. But God, in his sovereign plan and he's kind of like he's he's got things sorted he says you're not going to do it but um uh the one who's your offspring who will succeed you um and uh, and i'm going to he's going to build the house and i'm going to establish his kingdom so it's a pretty big promise because actually verse 16 says your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me and your throne will be established forever that's a pretty big promise and um so then in response, David prays and prays to God. So that's the first part. So I want to kind of bring a couple of things out of the first three parts, and then I want to focus on David's prayer. Uh, what do we take out of this um, first part? Sometimes, um, sometimes we have a good plan, a good plan, but it's not God's plan in life. Sometimes we have a good plan, but it's not God's plan. It's an interesting thing for me uh, because I'm a leader is something that I'm, I guess, constantly called upon to do is, is lead, change and, and, and see things happen and make decisions together with the other leaders in the church. Um, but actually in the midst of that, we need to be constantly prayerfully seeking God because sometimes we've got a good plan, but it's actually not God's plan. David's plan seemed like a great plan, made sense to me, but actually it turns out it wasn't God's plan for him to do it. Sometimes we have a dream and God says no. And that can be really difficult for us. David had a dream and God said no. What David wanted to do was good. It actually came from the right motives. It wasn't driven by selfishness or, or kind of this desire to have power or privilege or, or, you know, whatever. It was actually driven from a great heart. And it was to do something that was really good to do. But it turned out God had a different plan about who would do it and when it would happen. So David had the right what, he just had the wrong who and when. And it's really tricky for us because sometimes God says no, 
when we want to do something. Sometimes God says, not now. Sometimes God says, not yet. And sometimes God says, not you. But if we're not listening to God, if we're not seeking him, we miss all of that. And sometimes when we actually hear God speak, it can be really difficult for us and can be really confusing. By nature, as a leader, I am an activist. I am a change agent. I love to see opportunities. I love to see uh, and identify problems that can be addressed, changes that can be made. And I love kind of working bit by bit towards strategically bringing around change. And I love to try to take people on that journey with me. And doing that is not necessarily a bad thing. It's generally a good thing. But one of the things is that if you're someone like me, is that in my heart, I'm, I'm always seeking to bring that change. And the danger in that is that I can forge ahead in my plans for God rather than forging ahead in God's plan for me and for, his, my, for the church. And so we've got to be really careful, uh, particularly those who are entrusted with leadership roles, but also just all of us. Are we forging ahead with our plans for God or are we seeking after God's plans for us? Because when we sit in that space where we actually forge into what God's plans for us are and we live out of that, that's when things are going to prosper and we're actually going to be do, do what's in keeping with his will. That's the first thing I want to point, point out. I guess as a church we've got a, a living example of that in that if you know for across Hills Baptist with our, our Verdun congregation, uh, which, which really over five years since it was planted or almost six years, has grown rapidly um, and uh, from like 70 people to 800 people and we now long to see ourselves established in a new building and to acquire land so that we can begin that process and it's been really difficult and you would think that it should be easy because you know we want to acquire land and we we believe God's leading us in that direction and um, six different times I've stood on a piece of land and thought I think this might be the one and six times we've, we've gathered and we've prayed over a piece of land. Said, God, may you open the door for this piece. And on a couple of occasions, we've, we've, we've gone well beyond thinking maybe and thinking, yes, we think this is it. We're getting really close here. And right now, after a big journey of about two years of doing that, we are at square one. So where's God in that? Well, the only thing I think we can do in this is keep listening, keep praying, keep seeking God and I actually think that uh, when we get to the end of that journey we will look back and we'll discover that God had plans and had reasons for the way he did what he, he did maybe there's things we've needed to learn maybe there's things we've needed to experience and maybe God's got a better plan than any of the other plans that we thought were good plans so that's kind of something first thing is uh, the second thing to say is um, so first David has a plan Nathan says Go for it. But then God comes and speaks to Nathan and says, no, no, uh, David's not going to be the guy. You need to go and tell him that um, I've got a different plan. And another thing I want to say, I guess, for leaders is uh, sometimes you can kind of uh, say, yes, I think this is right. This is what we should do. And then as you continue to discern, as you continue to pray, you actually realize, actually, no, I don't think this is the case. And maybe I should do something completely different. And that's really tricky. Because if you have, as a leader, has said, I think we should do this in a meeting, for example, and then you've got to come into the next meeting and say, you know what, I actually think something different now. Then how does that make you, how do you come across? Kind of indecisive, 
uh, uncertain. You, you, know, you've, you've, you said yes and now you're saying no. And you, you said no and now you're saying yes. You said let's go in this direction. Now you're saying let's go in that direction. And that's actually pretty tricky. But I guess what I want to say in this is that sometimes that happens. And sometimes God's going to reveal something after you've maybe said let's go in one direction. And the better thing to do, I believe, is to keep sharing what God is placing on your heart and what you're discerning from God rather than just saying, well, I've got to forge in one direction and once I've sort of said something, then there's no changing, that's it. Because sometimes life doesn't work like that and faith doesn't work like that and following Jesus doesn't work like that. I kind of like um, uh, just (laughs) we have done a new constitution which is a very unspiritual kind of seeming thing but it was a very long journey to writing a constitution we thought it would take um, maybe six months and it took two years or something like that (laughs) and um, you know just this week we finally got it sort of approved by the the government body that has to approve it and I said you know a long and winding road comes to an end in the message and uh, you would think it would be such a simple linear thing but actually a lot of times when we follow God it's a long and winding road Um, which you can sing to the tune of the Beatles song if you want. Okay. All right. Everyone just missed that joke completely. Are you with me tonight? Mother's Day, you with me? Great. So um, let's get to what uh, Nathan reveals, uh, what God reveals to Nathan to pass on to David. And um, so David's got this plan, but then what God actually comes and says is, is, David, I have got a bigger plan for you. And I've actually got a better plan for you. Sometimes we think we've got a, a good plan, but actually God's got a better plan or a bigger plan. And what you may not have realized in this chapter, as we read it out, is that this is actually one of the big moments in the Old Testament. This is actually one of the significant moments. You see, in just a couple of moments in the whole of the Old Testament, God makes a covenant with key people in the whole history of um, Israel, but all in the kind of history of humanity and salvation history. He did this first with Noah. He then made a covenant with Abraham. He then made a covenant with Moses. And now he makes in this chapter a covenant with David. So this chapter is a big one. So question then is, what is a covenant? And so if you want to understand a covenant, because this is actually really important in the Old Testament, is that there is a difference between a contract and a covenant, covenant, okay? If you buy a house uh, at some point in your life, which most of you will, perhaps some of you have, um, there will come a point where you sign a contract. And when you sign that contract, you basically say, hey, I'm going to give you uh, however much money, half a million dollars, a million dollars, or whatever it is, I'm going to give you this much money, and in return, you're going to give me the house, the keys to the house. You've got a contract. You're gonna, you, I'm going to give you this, and in return, you're going to give me that. And we sign on the dotted line, and we have, we have created a contract. Okay, That's the basis of a contract, an agreement between two parties where both, both parties agree to do something of significance. The difference between a contract and a covenant is uh, a contract is kind of like a covenant, except in a covenant, only one party makes promises. And in the case of the covenants that God makes, it's God who makes promises. And, the co- and, the, and they're just completely one-sided. God comes along and says, hey, I am going to do this, and I'm going to promise this, and I'm going to give you all these things, and that's my part. That's what I'm committing to do. And on your part, what is required from you is actually nothing. 
Because this is an agreement that depends on my faithfulness, not on your faithfulness. On my goodness, not on your goodness. On my provision, not on your provision. And God's promise to David here is threefold. He says, I'm going to provide a place for my people and your son is going to build the temple and then I'm going to establish the throne of your son, which is kind of the same lineage. I'm going to establish his throne forever and he is going to have an everlasting kingdom. That this, this kingdom is going to reign forever, which is phenomenal. And you can see in this passage, it's all about God's promises. If you have a look here, if you've got the Bible in front of you, you can look at verse 8. Uh, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture tending the flock. Verse 9, it says, I have been with you wherever you have gone. Also in verse 9, it says, um, I cut you off from all your enemies before you. I gave you victory. And then it says, now I will make your name great. Also in verse 9. And then verse 11, it says, the Lord himself will do it. So it's all about what God is going to do for David and nothing about what David's expected to do or going to do for God. And then in verse 16, this great promise, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And what he's talking about there are promises that are fulfilled in Jesus, that are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, Jesus from the line of David who becomes in his resurrection, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, as it says in Isaiah chapter 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on, and forever. So what we have here in Isaiah 9 is a, is a prophecy saying that this, this Jesus is going to come, this Messiah is going to come. He's going to be fulfillment of this promise, this uh, covenant promise in 2 Samuel that there is going to be a king and he will reign forever on this throne. And so right back here in 2 Samuel, we see this promise that is fulfilled in Jesus and that we share in. Now, let me jump to how this applies to your life. How does this whole story about covenants and Samuel and David and Isaiah and Jesus, how is that radically relevant to your life? And the answer is that so many Christians, I think, don't realize or maybe realize theologically, but struggle to accept in the heart that God is a God who has made a covenantal promise to us through Jesus, not a contractual promise. That the relationship you have with God and the promises that God has made that are yours through Jesus are a covenant promise, not a contractual agreement. And I think that many Christians struggle to know and accept that. How do I know that? Because I've talked to so many people and you say, do you believe in God's grace for you? Do you believe that you are saved by the grace of God, not by works, but by the grace of God? They say, yes, I am. And they say, and yet I still really struggle with doubt. I doubt that I'm saved. I sin and fall down and I feel that God is probably angry with me. 
I feel like, God, I sit under judgment, not under grace. I feel like, I feel like I'm not certain of my salvation. And I know so many Christians who have struggled with this, and you can point them back to the Scripture that declares it so clearly, uh, salvation by grace through faith and the covenantal promises that we have through the blood of Jesus. And they say, I can see it, but I can't believe it. And if there's something that I would love you to just be able to, to, to live in and dwell in, it is the reality that we are living in a covenantal relationship through the blood of Jesus. When Jesus um, did, the, <coughs> did the, um, the Last Supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. He said, in my death on the cross, I am making a new covenant that's going to be in my blood, that through my shedding of my blood and the way that blood covers your sin, a new covenant relationship is being made. He says, I'm not, it is not the new contract in my blood. It is a new covenant in my blood. It is about what I'm going to do and the surety, the assurance of this promise is in my faithfulness not in your faithfulness it's in my goodness not in your goodness it's in my power not in your power if you can like grasp that and dwell in that then even as flawed and sinful people who'll still struggle with sin and we'll still fall short of God's glory and we'll still like just do stuff where we afterwards we feel a terrible shame and guilt and it is not wrong to feel that but even in that we will know uh, I'm still loved. I'm still secure. I'm still saved. I am still uh, have peace with God. I'm still reconciled to God. And nothing can take that away because that is the strength of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Amen? And so how does this fit with the theme of prayer? Well, the answer is that this, the way you pray should flow out of this reality. And that's exactly where David's prayer comes from. You have a look at David's prayer in reply to what God has said. And there's four things, four things that David prays that I want to kind of, uh, I want you to see as part of a, a pattern of prayer that is the evidence of knowing the covenant that God has made through Jesus. Let me grab a drink. And the first one is... Um, is in verse 18 and 19. Let's have a look at verse 18 and 19. David's prayer. Then David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said this. <clears throat> he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this de decree, Lord, uh, if it, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What do we see in that? We see incredible humility. If you want to write this down, I've got two words. I, I was hoping to have one word. I've got two. Humility and gratitude. Humility and gratitude. If you actually understand the fullness of God, then your prayer life is going to be filled with humility and gratitude. Your prayer life's not going to be defined first and foremost by, hey God, I need this and I want this and I need you to come in and help me here. Your prayer life is going to start and be filled over and over again with humility and gratitude. You're going to say these words, who am I, Lord? Who am I that you would be so 
loving towards me? Who am I that you would be so gracious to me? Who am I that you would be so good for me? Who am I that you, the almighty, all-powerful God, would, would, would know me in relationship and guide me and speak to me and, and indwell in me by your spirit and, and want the best for me and protect me and all of these things? And I don't know about you, but to be honest, I'm not being boastful here, but I'm in that place all the time where I say, who am I, God, that you would be so good to me? What have I done to deserve this? I've done nothing. But who, uh, who am I? How good you are, God. And, and that just leads to gratitude. Thank you, God. Thank you. Man, may your prayers be filled with thanks to God. If you, if you come to God and you, you kind of haven't got something to be thankful to God for, then just open up the Bible and read something and you'll be reminded of something about what you've got to be thankful to God for. And even in the midst of like a really tough time, and there's times in our faith, there's times in the experience of the journey of life where we go through extremely difficult times. But if you know this stuff, then even in the hard times, you've got reason to give thanks. You've got reason to say, God, who am I? that you are mindful of me, that you are with me. That's the first thing, humility and gratitude. Uh, I love a quote, um, a guy called uh, Brendan Manning wrote a book that I love called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And he made this quote in that book. <clears throat> he says, My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn or deserve it. Oh, what an awesome quote. My deepest awareness of myself is that I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I've done nothing to earn or deserve it. And that quote sits above my desk and I see that and read that just about every single day when I'm in the office because I want that to be my deepest reality of myself is that I'm loved by God, not because of what I've done, but because of his wonderful grace and provision and love. So that's the first thing. Let's look at verse 20 to 21 and go on to the second thing. David asks another question. What more um, can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For you know your servant. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. David says, what can I say? You know me. What can I say? You know me. And so the word that strikes me out of this little part of it is, is, is intimacy. Um, that our prayer life should, should, be, should be filled with the reality of, of intimacy with God, that we, we don't, you know, a lot of religions, prayer is very, very different. And I think we don't understand this as Christians. For a lot of religions, prayer is you, you, um, you repeat something by rote to a God who is, who is distant and in your obedience of saying the right words at the right time, at the right time of the day, you hope in time that, uh, when you die, you might actually be accepted by God. How different our prayer is as Christians. We've received the Spirit. We have this intimacy with God where, you know, as, as the Scripture says, we can say, Abba, Father, like we refer to God as like Dad. We can have this relationship with God and God invites us into that. What can I say? You know me. You've made your plans known to me. The Almighty God uh, actually comes in, in this intimate relationship and we just see this right through David's life. This shepherd who becomes a soldier, a warrior and a king who throughout the whole journey journeys with God intimately in relationship. So the first word is uh, humility and gratitude. 
First two words. The second one is intimacy. Um, it's, uh, it's the greatest desire of human beings to know and be known. To know and be known. That we could actually be completely ourselves before someone and to know someone completely. And I guess in human relationships, the closest that you can, uh, you can the closest you get to that is in a, in, in a marriage relationship. That's the closest you get where kind of like all of the um, pretense is uh, dropped away and you just completely um, just be yourself with that person. And uh, so like uh, for me, when I get home, it's like straight into the tracky pants and the daggiest t-shirt I've got and the Ugg boots. And it's just like, you know, uh, this is me. Um, you know, uh, just be completely at, at, at ease with, with, with my wife and, and the intimacy of marriage. And, um, and yet the intimacy God invites us into is, is an even deeper intimacy. And then, and then what we experience now is only a glimpse of what we will experience. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And in, in the times of the Bible being written, mirrors were not like mirrors today where you can see quite clearly. Um, they were kind of like a veiled reflection. You know, you could sort of partly see. And then it says, now, Then, we sh- then uh, in heaven we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. There's also this incredible promise in that verse that as much as we experience intimacy with God and get to know Him now in our relationship with Him, it's still veiled and it's still imperfect and it's still somewhat hidden. And yet there's going to be a time when we see God fully and we know fully, even as God fully knows us now. That is pretty awesome too. So that leads to the third point. Uh, Let's have a look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, How great you are, how great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. I love this. The third word that I think should be defining our prayer life is awe. Awe and praise. Where we should actually recognize the greatness of God in our prayer life. We should declare His magnitude, His power, His holiness, His sovereignty. And we should be in our prayer life kind of like actually remembering that and acknowledging that and declaring that and just praising God. I love that this whole prayer of David is so immersed with God that there's far more references to God than there is to himself. If you look through it, as I, as, I, as I did in my preparation, we see this. In verse 18, we see sovereign God. Verse 19, he says sovereign God. Verse 20, he says sovereign God. Verse 22, he says, guess what? Sovereign God. Verse 24, he changes it up and says, Lord. Um, hold on, I'm going to go back because I got that completely wrong. Verse 18, he says sovereign Lord. Verse 19, sovereign Lord. Verse 20, sovereign Lord. Verse 22, sovereign Lord. Verse 24, Lord, verse 25, Lord, verse 26, Lord Almighty, verse 27, Lord Almighty, verse 28, Sovereign Lord, he gets back into Sovereign Lord. And verse 29, he finishes it off with Sovereign Lord. (coughs) What does this say? It says that David in his prayer life is spending a whole lot more time focusing on God and his power than he is on himself and his immediate needs. And uh, um, probably, possibly, we are often inclined to pray this way. God, I, 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 me, me, I, 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 me, 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 me. Thank you, God. Amen. (laughs) We kind of bookend it. Um, You know, uh, we start with dear God, we finish with in Jesus' name, and the rest is kind of 
centered towards ourselves. But the prayer that David prays out of his complete awe at God's promises and God's plan that's been revealed and his awareness of God is a, is a prayer that is declaring um, the greatness of God and focusing on the sovereignty of God and uh, on God himself. <clears throat> the last word uh, down the end is, uh, is um, the word blessing is the word that stands out to me. Verse 29, he says, Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed uh, forever. It's interesting uh, this kind of happens sometimes in Scripture where God actually makes a promise, I'm going to bless you forever. And then, and then David says, now be pleased to bless um, your servant, even though God's just said, I'm going to bless you. And what do I take out of that? I think what we can take out of it is that even though God has made so many promises to us, it's actually okay to ask things of God and ask for God's blessing in our life, even though he's already promised that he's uh, going to bless us, and even though we, are, we know he's already blessed us. So David finishes this prayer by actually coming before God and saying, Lord, may you now be pleased to bless the house of your servant. And he asks something of God. It's interesting that Jesus invites us into a space where in prayer we would do the same. He says, um, ask, seek, and knock. Seek and you shall find. Uh, knock and the door will be open. Ask and it shall be given. He gives that great illustration. You know, who of you, if you had children, would, would, if they asked for um, uh, bread, you'd give them a stone. Or if they asked for um, <clears throat> something else, would give them a snake. I can't think what the other thing is. Uh, but, you know, your father longs to give you good gifts. And so ask and seek and knock. So God invites us into that. And so David's prayer, I think, just is this simple model of a beautiful relationship with God, rightly understanding that God is a God who makes covenant promises with which we then uh, live in relationship with him. Humility, intimacy, awe, and blessing. I was trying to think about how to finish this uh, message this afternoon, and I didn't quite have a finish. And, uh, and I, I, I did something I don't normally do as the source for my... Um, uh, conclusions to sermons. I, I went and looked on Facebook. Um, it was more of a distraction. I don't look on Facebook that often. And uh, <clears throat> just by um, coincidence or the grace of God, there was something on Facebook that someone had written about prayer that I just thought was like the perfect finish to this sermon. So let me, um, let me have a look at that and, and read that to you. This came from someone in um, YWAM in the hills. And uh, yeah, <laughs> represent. Okay, this is what it said. What is prayer? A petition? Yes, but it's more than just asking. A proclamation or declaration? Yes, but it's more than just speaking. A decree? Yes, but it's way more than just naming it and claiming it. A conversation? Yes, but it's way more than just talking. Prayer is the ability to communicate with the one who created us. Is it the only way? Absolutely not. But it's one of the most common ways in which we engage with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's tears. It's laughter. It's breakthrough. It's pressing in. It's joy. It's crying. It's standing on your feet. It's laying on your face. It's screaming out loud. It's waiting in the stillness. 
It's making every need known. It's listening and not saying a word. It's trusting truth over feelings. At times it's having doubts and at times it's knowing for sure. It's Jesus at the centre of it all and it's a loving relationship where he hears you, where he speaks, where you can be who you are because you have been recreated in him and you are one with him in spirit. He's not far away. He's with you. He's in you. He loves you. Talk to him today. And I thought, that's a pretty good quote. <laughs> it's awesome. The thing about prayer is, um, as we think about David wanting to build a house in which God can dwell, his presence can dwell enthroned above the ark between the cherubim in the most holy place, as, as we kind of, those of you under here last week will understand what I'm talking about there. <clears throat> the thing about it is, prayer is that this wonderful thing that God himself has invited us into his presence and he invites us into the throne room he invites us into the place where he is enthroned and God who is enthroned invites us and actually makes our very bodies the temple of God and he invites us into the intimacy of relationship with the almighty all-powerful God he says come come and listen come and talk to me I will speak to you if you learn how to hear my voice. I'm not a shouty God. I'm not a God who needs to kind of market myself. I'm often the God who speaks, speaks in a small, still whisper. I'm often the God who rewards those who will seek after me and will actually pursue me and learn, learn how to hear my voice. But for those who do, there is a richness. There is a beauty. There is a wonderful gift that he has for us. And that gift is prayer, to know and be known. Let's pray. If the band come up while I pray, that'd be awesome. Father, thank you that we call you Father. We speak often <clears throat> about prayer and we speak often about reading your word and sometimes our sermons come back to these <clears throat> simple, very basic things. But I think this prayer of David brings us back to that place where we remember you're a God who has made a covenant, a new covenant. A new covenant, as Jesus said, in, in Jesus' blood. Thank you that the relationship we have for you is not based, based on our faithfulness, but, but yours, not on the surety of our promises, but on what you promised to us. Lord, I want to pray that all of us here might be encouraged and challenged and blessed to discover a new depth in the intimacy of our relationship with you as a loving, powerful, wonderful, gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 